Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football History on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network, in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. And we're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150-plus years of football history and memorabilia. And you can find us on the web at Gridiron Greats Magazine. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host, a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larder. He hails from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Squires. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Ah, uh, you're you're on fire today, Captain. Great intro. Thank you. Joe, we're back with another show. As the days light <laughs> fade into darkness. The compound I see the ever present dark starting to roll in. Yeah, over Walling for but anyway, let's lead off we'll talk about a few things before a special guest comes on. And the first area we want to look at, there's an auction you want to talk about, and let's fill in our audience on it. Oh, man. Uh, well, we're in kind of a little bit of a, an, an auction drought lately. All the you know good auction houses that we like that we usually follow are in between auctions. I mean, we've got uh, a few coming up, uh, Gridiron 
you know, sponsor out Crystal Fuller with Love of the Game has one that he's getting ready to fire off here pretty quick. Uh, looking forward to that opening up. But gold and auctions at an auction that ended uh, on uh, on Sun Monday, excuse me. And, Monday, uh, Monday. Man, was it a big one. There's some stuff that's recognizable to us vintage football collectors and some stuff that will have the captain going, what the hell? So let's start with the normal stuff. A 1976 Topps number 148 Walter Payton rookie card graded in a PSA 10. When I, when I got into collecting in early 2000, <laughs> this is a three or $4,000 card. I sold mine for quite a bit more than that uh, when I got out of rookie cards. This one had a hammer price of $62,730. Oh. Which is an all-time high. That's probably triple the all-time high I've seen. So the question is raised, does Golden, do people who go to Golden Auctions, are they that fan loyal, or is there a shenanigans going on? But Either way, $62,730 for a Walter Payton rookie card. That's, yep. that's just beyond comprehension. Yep. Yep. Number, beyond, uh, two, on of, yep. Number two on my list of I'm going to watch the captain blow steam out of his ears was a 2000 SP Authentic number 118 Tom Brady rookie card. This is the classic one, him wearing a you know, red, mm-hmm. don't touch me quarterback jersey, uh, numbered, you know, 1 to 1,250. PSA 10, sold for $51,660. <laughs> this, is, this is about, uh, when I started getting into collecting, it was about a three or $4,000 card. I sold mine for quite a bit more than that, and this is almost triple what a normal card would go for in this range. You know, putting it in perspective, putting it in perspective between those two cards, you could buy a piece of property right now. Yeah, no kidding. Acreage. Wow. The best is yet to come. Nineteen eighty-one tops number two sixteen Joe Montana rookie card in a PSA ten. Twenty-nine thousand five hundred and twenty. Oh. Almost triple what it normally sells. Wow. Nearly triple. Wow. SP Authentic, wow. 1998 SP Authentic 14 Peyton Manning rookie card, 8610 Manning's not getting wow. much love, even though he's eligible for the Hall of Fame next year. That playoff contender card, that 2000 autographed playoff contender card that you and I have sh- shook our head at. A PSA 8 sold for 29520 and a BGS 8.5 for 20910 and PSA wow. ten, that card is uh, that card's gone for one hundred and twenty, hundred and forty thousand dollars. Unbelievable! Have your medication handy, Captain. Here's uh, the two that I really wanted to get to. Two thousand five, SP Authentic NFL logo pat- logo patches number two fifty two, Aaron Rodgers, BGS nine point five went for two hundred and twenty nine thousand two hundred. Was that you, Captain? It's an Aaron Rodgers card. I assumed it was you. $229,200. Two of your favorite things all under one roof. Uh, modern shiny cards, patches, and graded 9.5 plastic tombs. Nearly a quarter million dollars for that. 
that that's that's just just mind boggling. Mind boggling. Oh, you thought that was mind boggling? I got one more for you, Bob. <laughs> I can just only tap out I, I got a I got a feeling I got a feeling I know what this one is, but go for it. Uh 2017 Panini National Treasures, black. I, I don't know if there's a brown or a red one, but this is the Panini National Treasures, black, number 161. Patrick Mahomes, signed patch rookie card, DGS9. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Went for $236,160. <laughs> Bob, I, I know we try not to use profanity on this show, but what the hell is going on here? Oh, that that is. I won't even. That's sick. Yeah. Well, uh, all right. Lamar so, Jackson. What, uh, Lamar Jackson what, went for fifty-five thousand. There's another Patrick Mahomes card that went for twenty-nine thousand. Another Patrick Mahomes contenders card that went for forty thousand. Somebody dropped a lot of coin on a lot of modern cards. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty fascinating, isn't it? All right. So what what's What's your immediate take on it? What's your What's your feeling? What's going on? You, you know, let, let's oh let's, let's cut through the layers here, and let's provide our audience with some logical explanation of of, of what is driving the market right now for, for these uh, prices to be exist existing. I, because I know, can't cap I really can't. Uh, ditto, Captain. Uh, the only thing I can come up with. People who've made money in the stock market, obviously this is discretionary income. Uh, people who've made money in the stock market, people who've made money in, in real, you know, whatever it may be, they've got some discretionary income. They're looking for another way to invest their, their money. They're seeing a lot of headlines splashed across, with, frankly, stuff like this. Uh, and they're investing in these cards. You don't spend a quarter million dollars on a card that's two and three years old. Uh, you know, you know, so that you can, you know, put it on your mantle and enjoy it. Uh, this, this has to be people who are investing in cardboard. Uh, this, yeah, it, it has to be. This same auction at a Honus Wagner, um, I, you know, I, I don't like to talk baseball, but you can't ignore it. Had a Honus Wagner, you know, a PSA 1 that's, you know, got missing in the upper left-hand corner. It sold for $1,392,000. Yep, and, yep, uh, yep. And you know, in a Mickey Mantle rookie card in PSA that was incredible, sold for five eighty four. I mean, this you know, PSA eight card and this is usually a hundred thousand, so this is you know quite a bit more than just the normal, anyways. But a lot of money was spent at Golden last night. That's, that's all I got. Yeah, and, and I, I, I just, I, I just find it, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm literally speechless over the whole thing, looking at, you know, seeing what <laughs> those cards went to. Went for, and it and it's just it's just totally illogical to me. Uh, yep. Other than what you're saying, it's, there's so much money out there. There they can't you know wait to put it somewhere type of thing, and yeah. that that's basic basically what's happening. You know what I mean? So that yeah, that's yeah. a uh, a major yeah. a major issue that's going on. So. <laughs> You can 1031 into anything. I mean, you, uh, you know, if you're doing, you know, exchanges, you know, uh, tax avoidance exchanges, you can, I mean, uh, you know, I sold a property to a guy once who uh, was an artist and he'd sold a piece of artwork and he 1031 it into a building. Uh, so maybe yeah. this is people yeah. leaving the real estate market and trying to shelter 
games and 10:31 in the cardboard. I don't know, but I don't understand mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I, I, you know, I guess you know for us old salty guys who've been in the hobby of you know a long time, and you obviously got me by a couple years. Uh, it's the modern stuff. I don't understand. You know, the the high end graded stuff is so subjective. I definitely don't understand. And you know, you know, even a Walter Payton rookie card for going for triple the amount that it normally does, you know, raises an eyebrow with me. So, are are people that loyal to golden auctions, or uh, who knows? But uh, it's a, it's November, crazy. November, we have about four standard auctions coming online in November. We have REA. We've, uh, you know, um, you know, Brian DeWire was a guest here. We've had, you know, Mile High's coming up with Leland's, who we've had a, a guest before. We should really get, you know, uh, you know, Josh, you know, with Leland's back. He was one of my favorite guests. And yep. as I mentioned, the love of the game firing up in November. So some, some good auctions firing up here in the next two, three weeks that always have some good things. So I get antsy. I, I, I love looking at auctions. You hear people talking about auction fatigue, uh, too many auctions going on. I'm the opposite. Yep, yep. Kidding me? I want to see five, six auctions going on at once. I want to see everything they've got to offer. I love auctions. Show me the football cards. I love it. Well, I think I think in this case, uh, I think everyone is shocked by what the you know what was realized as far as prices were concerned, and as such, basically it was uh, you know just to me. You know, it's it, almost non-comprehensible to, to to hear about those prices. Uh, it just yeah. doesn't make sense. You know, in a way, it's a good for it's good for the hobby. In a way, it's really not good for the hobby, because again, if you know how limited are the newer cards, in my opinion, even the paint and rookie, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah, and uh, you know, to to run it for sixty thousand, I mean, it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. So, but uh, unfortunately, that's where the market is right now. And, and and like you said too, people make money in other areas, whether it's the stock market or whatever, or sell other assets, and they really feel that yep. they, they they have a cushion by investing in graded cards. And I really yep. can't see it, but obviously it's it's, it's happening. So that's it. You know, <laughs> it, it is it's what pretty it is. interesting. But um. It's it's pretty interesting, but it's it's funny because I mean I, you know, the most money I've ever spent on a card was buying a Bronco Nagurski PSA eight. You know, but that was yep. fourteen years ago. It wasn't even anywhere near what these are going for. I just, right. just who's got that kind of who's got that kind of dry powder laying around? They can they can drop a quarter million dollars on a you know two and a half three year old card. Right. I well, like I said, I, the, I, those, aren't I, the circles, I those, those aren't the circles you and I hang in, I guess. I think, you know, I, I look at him from my perspective, given what uh, a quarter of a million dollars could buy, I just assume buy a condo or property somewhere. You know, as uh, much as I enjoy my football cards and memorabilia, I, I, I wouldn't spend that money. That's the reality of it. You know, it's a hobby to me. It's not a, it's not a bubble that could pop at any time realistically viewing, you know, did I really, or the person who bought it, did they really overpay for the product, you know, or the item or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a major, major problem, major issue that may occur down the road with 
the uh, overpaying of greater cards and the, and the euphoria over a PSA 10 card or something that's graded so highly at the same time. But uh, whatever. You never know. <laughs> and we will never know. And exactly. you know, we could be four shows down the road and we find another auction and, and the prices are even stronger than, than this auction. So Uda. you never know what's going to happen. Maybe one of these days, Captain, we will have a guest on. Who you know? Who specializes in buying up, you know, one of one modern, right? You know, right, right. <laughs> we'll have that guest on, and we'll have one question: What the hell are you doing? Uh, you know, just yep. and then let them talk for about half an hour while you and I listen. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Who knows? Exactly. Oh so, uh, well. Well. Uh, it, Moving from the auctions and, and uh, with the few minutes we have before our guest comes on, I just want to uh, talk real briefly. The latest issue of Gridiron Greats is out. And, again, if you don't subscribe yeah. to Gridiron Greats magazine, what are you waiting for? We had an incredible issue that came out. Uh, I know you had a nice article in there. Um, yeah. Very interesting articles. Uh, tell us again very briefly about yeah, your article. Yeah, it was uh, the most popular football card set. And it was me looking back for the last decade at uh, the top registry, you know, who, you know, how many people, you know, uh, have qualified registries collecting certain sets and just what's the most popular football set based on who collects it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that uh, ended up being the 1955 tops all American set, you know, without a doubt. Uh, was yep. it. So, yeah, just, just, yeah, pretty interesting. I enjoy writing articles. I, I I love just picking weird topics and you know my my you know well, uh, you know it, to me it's an interesting and a, and a, and it is a realistic you know article. You know each decade has a favorite set. Each collector, depending on their collecting interests, has a favorite set. Uh, each era of collector, you know, older collectors enjoy maybe the you know the 40s and 50s cards more younger collectors obviously like the uh-huh. 90s or the zero zeros you know the, you know it all, it all ties into what the hobby is you know there's no right or wrong way collecting the item and you know if you really like something you're going to you're going to you know collect it and that's it and i, I don't yeah. have a problem with somebody you know and i and we got readers of gridiron greets who say you know, I like to read a little more about the newer stuff just to try to get more educated about it. And and I always say, well, uh, you know, I'm researching it myself to try to understand it more because I, it, to me, I, I just can't I can't comprehend. Again, you have a panini that comes out with basically 25 different brands of the same player. Yeah. And I, I mean, how do you collect this stuff? I mean, what? What? I can't comprehend that either. You know. So, again, I always said to I always try to tell people, why don't you just try to collect one set of whatever score, you know, in this case, score Donruss, whatever, yeah. and just stay with it every year. And then, if you get a favorite team or a player, pick up a few team sets, a few player cards of the other player, of the player itself, and you know, that's your collection. That, that's interesting. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know. It's a lot different than in my day when I just collected tops or Fleer or Philly or Fleer in action, and uh, any oddball or insert sets I would collect, and that's it. You know. Yeah. Well, when there was one set to collect, 
you know. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you you know, you started getting into it when it's 65 tops and 65 Philly. And, you know, that went yeah. on, you know, you know, through, you know, for, for you know, for, for four years there. Uh, I grew up where there was one set. I mean, I didn't know that, yeah. I didn't know Fleer had competing sets until, you know, later on in my life because it just nobody, nobody displayed them. Tops ruled the world. Right, so. right, right, right. Yeah, very true, very true. All right, our guest is here, and I don't want to keep him, and I want to introduce him, and we'll get into our show. Our special guest tonight is a longtime fan of the St. Louis Football Cardinals and has the Twitter account Big Red STL, along with a website, which is extremely interesting, called TheBigRedZone.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce to our show, Mr. Bob Underwood. Bob, welcome to the show this evening. Thanks, guys. Can you hear me? I can hear You're you. Perfect. Okay, okay great. Um, you know, you guys are killing me because uh, I had a 1976 Walter Payton rookie and a 1981 oh. Joe Montana rookie. <laughs> and I didn't really want to hear that part about how much they're going for. I don't have them any, any longer, but... Uh, Oh, you know, it's, if you had, it's, if you had just held it to the that. show, if you had just held it to the next <laughs> show, we could have given you the information how to get them graded. And um, you'd probably, you know, either buy property with it or whatever and uh, be all set. Bob, I want to thank yeah. you for being on the show tonight. And I want to lead off by asking you, how did you become interested in St. Louis Cardinals football? Well, you know, I, uh, I was probably seven or eight years old. And the first team I remember watching was the 1974 Cardinals. Uh, and that was a great time to be a Cardinal fan. It was uh, Don mm-hmm. Coriel's second year. They were coming off oh, yeah. uh, three, three, four win seasons, maybe four, four win seasons in a row. And uh, they started the season seven and oh, they won the NFC East. You know, the first time they had uh, appeared in the postseason in 26 years. And, you know, that team just had some great characters as well. You know, the offensive line alone with Dobler and Deardorff and Tom Banks, yeah. uh, Bob Young. I, I've got a video of Bob Young I found of him beating Lou Ferrigno, the, the incredible Hulk, in a tug-of-war in the World's Strongest Man competition in 1978 or 79. Oh, wow. Um, just, just some great wow. characters and the playmakers they had, you know, Gray and Metcalf and Jimmy Hart, the quarterback. And, you know, those guys were all over – all over town back then. It was a little bit of a different era, um, as you as you know. Uh, in the town I lived in, we had like an exhibition hall, and every time there was a, a, a card show or a boat show, an auto show, a flea market, you know, the Cardinals would send a couple of players out and sign autographs, and they were free. You know, you'd stand in line or whatever. You'd bring whatever, your football or whatever you wanted signed. And, you know, it wasn't always Metcalf and Jim Hart. It might be, uh, you know, Mark Arneson or, or Bob Rowe or someone like that, a second – tier or third tier player that, you know, as an eight or nine year old, it was just a great time growing up with the, the cardiac cards. The cardiac cards. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's definitely cool. Great. Uh, great website. It, it's um, Bob got it right. It's the big red Uh I was looking, you know, when he sent it to me, it was just, you know, I, I thought it was big red zone, but great website. I was I've been traipsing around in the last couple of days. Just uh, your blogs on it are great. Uh, the landing page when I when you first click on it, the landing page was uh, 
just a left-to-right swath of, you know, shirtless, hairy dudes, including Dan Deardorff <laughs> on the right. Uh, I, I went to click on it before the show just to check it out again, and I noticed the LP, the landing page had changed. Now it's, you know, everybody at the National Anthem, you know. Uh, yeah, I thought they rotate. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your website and uh, what, what it takes to put somebody in this together and, you know, just because – Man, you've got a lot of great content on here, players, games, events. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I appreciate it. It was, uh, you know, I had I started some social media accounts accounts probably six years ago, and I started the uh, the website. It's really a blog, probably three years ago, yeah. maybe four years ago, and and really the purpose is, is to just document the history of the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and as you, as you as you've seen, you know, I've written many stories on uh, former players. I've interviewed a few players, broadcasters, uh, games. We've had, uh, during football season, the last couple of years, I've I've kind of become the default uh, Cardinals alumni guy here in St. Louis. So I get these players together, and we go to a local bar, and uh, and the fans come out, and they they love it. I mean, it's... uh, it's, it's it, you know the Rams aren't here any longer, so they feel kind of forgotten. So I, th- I think they really yeah. appreciate uh, you know, being remembered. But uh, you know, I wish I had more time to write uh, on the blog, but it's you know more of a hobby. I do have a retired St. Louis Globe Democrat writer and sporting news writer Dennis Dillon, who's written a couple of uh, guest uh, "Where Are They Now" type interviews with some players. And we've got one coming out soon on uh, Jim Otis, the former Cardinal fullback. Uh, who actually led the NFC in rushing in 1975, which is hard to believe. But. <laughs> wow. It's fun. Yeah, I, I, I noticed it was a lot of blogs that went all the way down. Your last one was, you know, about, you know, Larry Wilson passing away. And yeah. just, uh, just and, and it, it kind of it scrolled down. It, it read like, you know, like you're, you're, you're gathering your thoughts. I was looking at the dates on there. You had Dennis, Dennis Dillon did one. Uh, which I assume mm-hmm. you're talking about, uh, you know, it's kind of about your, your games all the way back. Just uh, some some really cool autographed pictures that you have up here too. Uh, yeah, they're you know, ca- the kind stories of, are kind of really- categorized on the right there, so you can click on the players and you see all the player um, posts. I actually, uh, with the 100 year anniversary of the NFL last year, I actually ranked the top 100 St. Louis football Cardinals, which was a little bit harder than mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the top 20 or 30 weren't too hard, but when you get down to only 28 years of football and you're in 80 to 100, you know, it's kind of, kind of tough. I think I had a punter <laughs> number 100. A couple, a couple of years ago when the Seahawks lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, I was, yeah. in, a, I was in a store and I saw, a, uh, you know, Seattle Seahawks NFC West or, you know, NFC champion jacket. And I, was, I just kind of shook my head. And I, Bob and I were talking about it. I'm like, Wearing an you know NFC West champion jacket, you know basically is you know we were the first loser, you know we lost the Super yeah. Bowl, and I'm like I don't I don't get wearing an NFC, you know championship jacket. So making the top 100 best you know websites for the St. Louis Cardinals kind of reminded me of that jacket, Bob. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fun to do. You know the fans. This is all about memories and things like that. So. You know, a lot of players look at this and their families, so they, they really appreciate the, the work that goes yeah, into it. I think they feel like they're forgotten. I, I truly enjoy your uh, your website and, and a little off script here. I pulled for the show tonight, 
Um, anybody who knows me knows I'm big on football publications. I enjoy them. I have a lot of them. I really wish people would collect them more because I think they're missing out. But I have right yeah. in front of me a 1979 St. Louis Cardinals media guide, of which I have on the front cover stapled hmm. a St. Louis football Cardinals uh, Bing Divine Vice President of Administration business card in which he signed <laughs> Mr. I can't read it. The guy's name, it looks like Braddocker or something. My compliments, uh, BD. And uh, I thought that was pretty cool. And I remember I looked in my files. I paid $1 for this beauty at a card show back in the late 80s. And uh, I've had it in my library ever since. I have a handful of, of St. Louis Cardinal uh, media guides. But uh, yeah. I always say, I've, I've thought of you now since I've been following you. Uh, which is our next question on your Twitter account. And I really enjoy it because um, I love watching the little uh, inserts of films that you have on the Twitter account. I try to retweet uh, a lot of your stuff, uh, you know, because I want people to see you and hopefully they start following you. Because, man, oh, man, you, you know, you you are the, in my opinion, you know, the, the keeper of the St. Louis Cardinals uh, franchise for, yeah. for that 27-year period. So, Talk about talk, let's talk a little bit about your Twitter account there, Big Red STL. Yeah, so I appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's taken a lot of work uh, over the years. You know, there, a lot of those videos come off of YouTube. Uh, I purchased a lot of the uh, the Big Red highlight films over the years, the season highlights. I think I'm only missing one. 1962 is the only one I'm missing. Um, so I'm oh, able wow. to get a lot of the games clips you know from those and uh, there was a guy on youtube a, a few years ago that posted all of the uh, this week in pro football episodes from like the mid 60s all the way up to the late 70s early 80s so i've probably got game clips of 85 90 percent of all the games the cardinals played in st louis so it's categorizing them and and like today i think you saw that uh, you know in 1962 on this day sonny randall about 16 passes for 256 yards. So I've got a, mm-hmm. a video of a touchdown pass he caught, you know. And so that's really what the Twitter account is about is, uh, you know, I've got a Google Google calendar full of birthdays and uh, on this day events and history, you know, just and they just pop up every day. And uh, a lot of the stuff I tweet, um, I've already got it pre-written and kind of saved in the address or the calendar, you know, so it's, uh, mm-hmm. I got smart last year and started doing that. So I didn't have to retype everything every year, and because it's time consuming. But uh, that's really the purpose of the of the Twitter account. I also have uh, yeah. a Facebook group that has a lot of former players on the on the group and with their family members, and they participate. Roger Worley's on there, uh, Stump Mitchell, mm-hmm. Bubba Baker, Mel Gray, Johnny Rowland, Jackie Smith. I mean, it's it's really neat, and the fans get a kick out of chatting with these guys. Yeah, yeah, there's a pretty yeah. cool video on your Twitter, uh, you know, where they interview Mel Gray. You know, it's like you, you did this about a week ago, or no, excuse me, I think yesterday, where you're like, hey, a year ago we yep. had this big red get together. Somebody asked Mel Gray who the fastest person he ever saw was, or who ever played against was, and I can't remember what he said because I watched it yesterday. But he's like, yeah, guy at Kentucky he goes, I'm, I'm fast. This guy in Kentucky beat me, and I, I forget, but it was just funny to, to hear. It's always fun to hear professionals, you know, who that who they admired. 
Yeah, Mel likes to talk. You know, it's hard to believe he ran a three nine in the forty. You know, he was he, because oh. he was a uh, world class sprinter in college in Missouri, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name either. But right at the end, he's like, "And I didn't even win." You know, somebody else ran a three eight. <laughs> I didn't know he was that fast. Are you kidding me? Three forty. He, he, him and uh, Bob Hayes, Bullet Bob Hayes, and the offseason yeah, in the early seventies. These guys used to sprint. They, they'd uh, have exhibitions where they would sprint uh, just to get some extra cash in the offseason. And uh, Bill Bidwell, the Cardinals owner, brought Mel in. I think it was nineteen seventy three, and pretty much demanded that he stop doing that because he was afraid he was going to get hurt. And Mel, he was like, "Well, give me a pay raise, and I'll stop doing it." <laughs> Because you know these wow. guys had off-season jobs back in back in the day, they oh, didn't yeah. make any money. <laughs> so think about I think the record forty, you know. So at the uh, you know at the combine, you know they started tracking that. I forget when the combine came in, but probably about a month ago, I really went down this rabbit hole of uh, you know Bo Jackson, and you know, and, and he was talking about you know the yeah. fastest forty. I think the fastest forty they have tracked is like you know it's like a four one nine or something like that. So this guy was yeah. world-class, man. I didn't realize he was that fast. Yeah, that's what he said, 3-9. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone <laughs> verified it. <laughs> yeah, who knows? That's fast. Uh, I, you know, I'm traipsing around, I, I, you know, on your, you know, social media a little bit, and uh, I assume you were, you're ex-Navy. Were you a boiler tech on the US, USS Utah? I was not. I mean, the, the Utah is actually in Pearl Harbor. My grandpa was on that ship, and it was the first ship oh. torpedoed by the Japanese in, in, on, uh, in 1941. So I yeah. actually run a, a Twitter page on the USS Utah, and I, I actually have a website on that that uh, gets a lot of hits. So the Utah is still in the water in Pearl Harbor. The Arizona and the Utah are the two ships that they, they didn't pull out of the uh, out of the harbor. So uh, oh, okay. pretty neat oh, story. Well, not sure. many people know I was actually a Navy oh. nuke. I was on the USS Mississippi. I was a machinist mate. So, I was a machinist mate nuke as well. I was a I was really? a MM nuke as well. I was on the Georgia uh, SSBN seven twenty nine. Yeah, I was on a yeah. I was on a cruiser on the coast. So, neat. Older, where'd you? If you don't mind me asking, where'd you go to nuke power school? I went to Orlando, NTS Orlando. Well. I, yeah, me too. So I was in the last, I went to MMA school in Great Lakes. I was the last class in 1986. And then uh-huh. uh, nuke school was in Orlando. So I went actually went to A school in Great Lakes in 86. Okay. Yeah. They and combined it. So the A, school, the, the A school was in Florida by the time I hit there in uh, 89. So, yep. so I did my, yeah. my, my, my boot camp, my A school, and my nuke power in, in Orlando, the prototype. I don't fall. What a small world. I love it. What ship were you on again? <laughs> I was on the Mississippi. So it was a cruiser. You know, and it was it was a surface oh, wow. ship, but it was uh, you know, there were like 600 people on it, so it wasn't like a carrier and uh you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you kind of it wasn't too big, so you kind of knew everyone, you know, but it wasn't so small yeah. that you were getting thrown around at sea, you know, <laughs> with the waves. So um right. you know, it's kind of neat. Okay. Right on. Well, obviously you're you always always happy to meet another uh, ex squid. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I mean, obviously you're you know you a tremendous amount of time into you know you know your St. Louis. I mean, being a fan, are you uh, do you collect anything? I mean, Bob and I are both avid collectors. Um, yep. 
you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. Is it, but there's a lot of people who love football who don't collect as well. So I'm curious if you, yeah, if you have, if you collect. You know, I was more of a, a baseball card collector um, back in the '70s and '80s, and uh, but uh, and I still have them. But I, I, it was kind of interesting to hear you guys talk about. You know, uh, Bob, I think you had mentioned you were a Topps guy. You know, you, you collected Topps. Yep. And that's the kind of the kind of the way I was until uh, Fleer and Donruss came out. Now, I know you guys don't talk baseball, but it's kind of kind of related. You know, and I collected those. But then when Score and all these upper decks and it kind of became a business in the early 90s, late 80s, and I kind of got out of mm-hmm. it, you know. It just wasn't fun anymore. Um, but I do, I had, you know, I mentioned I, I got a bunch of football cards, I think, uh, from, from the Cardinals, and I, I'm probably about 10 cards shy of a complete set from uh, 1960 to 1987. So I think they're from the 64 and 65 Philadelphia set. I think it's Philadelphia. Nice. It's, it's, uh, let me know um, – let me send me uh, an email. What cards you need? I may have them. If I got them, I'll just send them okay. to you. I mean, uh, yeah, you they're, have they're a pretty soul. random. I've, I've got all the Wilsons and John David Crows, and yeah, I've got all those. It's uh, probably someone like Bill mm-hmm. Coleman and some of the some of the other guys. But yeah, I'll do that. Um, you know, so yeah, I've that, got the football that, cards. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Oh. Well, I was going to mention. Uh, you know, these game programs, um, I, I started collecting those a couple of years ago. And and I, I have all the media guys, too, but these old uh, game day magazines and pro magazine, and uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you can find them all over the place on eBay. But pro- my favorites are from the mid to late 60s because back then each home team would have their own version of the of the magazine. So you'd get a, a right. one that was sold at the stadium. And it would be loaded with photos and interviews of Cardinal players. And, and uh, you know, then sometime in the 70s, I think the NFL kind of took it over. And, you know, they'd have right. one magazine sold at all the stadiums. There'd be an insert with the rosters and, you know, a couple of game notes or something from the game that day and the local game. But, mm-hmm. uh, so I've been collecting some of the 60s era type uh, programs. So kind of get a kick out of that. Also, one of the neater things I have here recently I found on eBay is a uh, it's a hand puppet. And I, I had never <laughs> seen one before. I don't know anybody that has seen one. I can take a picture and send it to you. But it's a, it's a hand puppet of a little person with a Cardinals helmet on, and they've got a Cardinal <laughs> jersey. And you stick your hand up in this jersey, and there's a couple of levers in there. And you push the levers, and the, the puppet's arms come out like Rock'em Sock'em Robot. You know, it's yep, like a boxer, yep, yep. and I'd never seen anything yep. like it. I take it to these fan events and show it around, and people get a kick out of it. I know it's from the '60s, but I hadn't seen that anywhere before. I don't know if you guys know anything about it. And if memory serves me correctly, I think Marx Brothers made those, and I want to say roughly '64 to maybe '67. I do distinctly remember those when I was a kid. I don't have any in my collection, but uh, now that you mention it, it I, I can literally picture it in my mind. That's pretty cool. Yep. And uh, they, yeah. they are not uh, plentiful in any way, shape, or form. So uh, no, you don't see them anywhere. Are, and this one just happened right, to be a Cardinal right. one, you know. And I, and I think I paid ten dollars for it. I mean, I, I don't like to spend too much uh, on eBay, but uh, when I see value like that, yeah. I go ahead and, and grab it. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely worth, definitely worth it, definitely worth. It. You know, I was going to say the nice thing about, um, well, not the nice thing, but to me, the the concise thing about following a team that started at a, a specific date and basically 
since you don't collect them when they move to Arizona, you got from 1960 to 1987. And realistically, you could put together uh, a complete run of their, their football cards. You can do a complete run of their pocket schedules from those years. You can do, uh, like you said, you got all the media guides. You could also do a program, game program, and a ticket stub from most of the games or let's say all the home games or whatever. So the nice thing to me about collecting a, a team and specializing a team like that, you, could, you can in theory have a complete collection. You know what I mean? And from a collector's yep. standpoint, that that I, I've always enjoyed. I mean, I'm a Packers fan, and there's no way possible I could put together a run of, you know, every Packer program from 1921 to the current year yeah. with ticket stubs or anything like that. And I, I don't even attempt it type of thing. And uh, in yeah. your case, I always thought it was it was pretty neat because obviously '88 they were they, they moved to Arizona, and mm-hmm. uh, you know most you know hardcore. I would assume hardcore St. Louis collectors ended their collections uh, of the team when they moved, nor did they start in the fifties when they were the Chicago Cardinals either. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty neat. So you could, I, I can see somebody specializing that or somebody like you, you know, specializing in have, having what, what could considered to be an actual complete collection of their cards and, and other forms of memorabilia. So uh, that's pretty neat. I, I thought about that. Yeah, one, 1960 uh, wasn't that long ago. You know, when, you, when you're looking right, around right. for memorabilia, you know, it's only, I mean, 60 years is 60 right. years. But memorabilia, you know, the football cards are still available. And, and uh, you know, yeah. there's like this hand puppet. I mean, that stuff, it was $10. So you can find things like that um, that aren't right. off the leak. That's that's, that's that's very uh, very interesting very uh, and to me it's part it's the fun of collecting too you know you you got that yeah and you have that ability to do that at the same time I'm curious do you have any uh, interesting former player stories uh, that you might want to share with our audience Yeah you know there's there's a ton of stories from the that 70s cardiac cards team uh, especially with the offensive line and you know I could tell stories from the 80s with the some of the players and the the battles they had with the owner and the G and the VP and all that. But uh, there's one, it's actually Jim Hannafin's favorite story. And he, he tells it at luncheons. He still tells it at luncheons and, and uh, he wrote about it in his book and it's from 1976. They were in training camp and I'm sure you guys remember Phyllis George from the NFL today. Uh, She was coming into St. Louis to interview Conrad Dobler who was just anointed the dirtiest player in pro football by Sports Illustrated. <laughs> and so Dobler, you know, he was all excited about the interview, and he even writes about this in one of his books too, I think. Uh, and you guys may have heard it, but I, I like the story. But he was all excited about the interview, but uh, the relationship he had with Theodore and Banks and Jackie Smith, you know, if they yeah. found out he was being interviewed by Silas George, you know, they would have been razzing him. So he kind of kept it a secret. Uh, but somehow Jackie Smith found out about it. And the day of the interview, Conrad had bought a brand new pair of jeans and he had them hanging up in his <laughs> locker room in his locker. And uh, so he went in to take a shower and Jackie had had enough, you know, he thought Conrad was full of himself and he got some shears and he cut the pant leg off of one of the legs of his jeans. <laughs> oh my God. And, uh, and Conrad comes out, you know, he's mean as hell. Anyway, <laughs> he comes out of the, out of the, uh, shower and he, he puts his shirt on he's got this medallion he put on you know and he goes to get his jeans and he sees one of the legs is cut off and he just went ballistic <laughs> and coach Hannison was actually being interviewed by phyllis george upstairs 
in a dorm room and he could hear all the commotion in the locker room. And he tells the story great, you know, but, uh, but, but Tobo started throwing chairs and, you know, I don't know if you remember back in the day, they'd have these uh, wooden benches that are like four feet long, you yeah. know, big heavy benches, players that sit on. He picked one of those up and just started slamming it against the lockers. And he demanded <laughs> to know who cut the leg off and nobody would tell him, you know, and the locker room cleared out. And uh, Hannafin tells a story about a year later, he goes out with his wife and family up to Yellowstone Park, and and Dobler lived in Wyoming. So they they the families met, and and uh, Dobler took Hannafin out fishing, and he demanded again to know who cut that lake, <laughs> and oh, Hannafin no forgot about it. He wanted to know, and he knew Hannafin knew, but Hannafin wouldn't tell him. You know, and to this day, you know, he still doesn't know if Dobler knows. <laughs> but he wrote about it in the book. So Dobler probably knows if he read the book. By now, yeah. I mean, those guys, there's a ton of stories like that of those guys. And uh, the, the offensive line, they used to tease, and they still do. They still tease Jim Otis, you know, because uh, he gained 1,000 yards in 1975. And, uh, yep. you know, he, he probably averaged two and a half yards a carry, <laughs> three yards a carry. But, uh, you know, that was the year, that offensive line, they only gave up uh, eight sacks the whole year, and they set an NFL record. And Jim Otis led the league in rushing, led the NFC in rushing. So it was a heck of an offensive right. line. Those were great teams back then. You know, it's nice It's nice right. hearing a story about the camaraderie those guys had back then where they could pull a stunt like that. And, uh, you know, today they'd hear from the player's agent or lawyer immediately if they, if they did something like that. You know, but back then that was no, they, you were a team. Yeah, you they'd have video of it on Twitter. And, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it, that's a good story. Uh, that's funny, to say well, the least. Bob, obviously you're at, a, you know, St. St. Louis. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you going to say something? Obviously you're a St. Louis Cardinal fan. Uh, you know, and Bob and I were talking about this prior to the show. It's, you know, I, I you know, the, at, at some point the Seahawks were thinking about being sold, like in the early night, you know, late '80s, early '90s, you know, to Los Angeles. Uh, and, and being moved, and I remember I was like, "Well, if they move, I'm not a Seahawks fan. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. I wouldn't be an LA Seahawks fan." Right. Uh, so you're you're a Cardinals fan. I mean, obviously, you know they moved to Phoenix, and then you know you know small switch in '88. Are you a Chicago card? You consider yourself a Chicago Cardinals fan? You know, from like 1920 to you know, 59 before they moved to St. Louis, or are you just St. Louis? Did you stop following them when they moved to Phoenix and Arizona? I, I definitely stopped following them when they moved to Arizona. Now, the one thing, you know, and I mentioned earlier, I was in the Navy in 85, 86, you know, so when they moved, I, I didn't live here anymore, you know, so it it didn't hit me as hard as some of my friends and family, you know, that had season tickets and, and, uh, and were still living here, and they had football, and then the next year they didn't. You know, so I, I was gone in the military, um, but I, you know, I didn't follow the uh, Arizona Cardinals. I still really don't, to be honest, I don't really follow the NFL at all anymore. Um, I'll have the game on in the background uh, and you know, pay attention a little bit, but, uh, you know, I don't play fantasy football or anything like that. I just kind of, after the Rams left and the way they left, you know, I kind of, a lot of people just kind of gave up on the NFL here in St. Louis. Uh, as far as the Chicago Cardinals, um, I think, a lot of their history is pretty neat, you know, with Charlie Bedwell being the owner and how he passed uh-huh. away right before they won the NFL championship in 1947 and, um, and how his, his wife took over the team and, 
and she married a guy from St. Louis who was instrumental in, in moving the team here. And I actually have a story on the blog on how the Cardinals left Chicago and why they left Chicago. And it was really, it was more about TV money than anything else. It wasn't that St. Louis Ooh. stole them or anything like that. But uh, back, you, you remember the old blackout rules where you had, you couldn't uh-huh. televise a home game unless you sold out right. 72 right. hours in advance. Well, back then, if, if there were two teams in Chicago. So if one of them was at home, they weren't allowed to televise. Like if the Cardinals were playing at home, they couldn't televise the Bears game on the road. So basically, there weren't there weren't any games televised in Chicago unless both teams were on the road the same week. And it came to the point to where you know the commissioner Bert Bell was the commissioner at the time, and he basically told them one of them had to leave. You know, and they had to figure right. it out. And uh, you know, and, and then eventually it was the uh, the Cardinals that took off. So. so interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of history. Do you, do you think St. Louis will ever have another football team? I mean. They deserve it, certainly population-wise. They, they, they've got what it takes. Yeah, I, I, I really don't think it'll happen anytime soon. Um, I think there's some obstacles that would have to be uh, uh, overcome, you know. Um, one, I think, you know, there's a lawsuit going on right now between the city of St. Louis and the NFL and the Rams, and it's gone a lot farther than anyone thought. I mean, I think there's a deposition stage right now, which uh, people are surprised it hasn't been settled yet. Um, but, you know, there's been rumors that the Chargers might move here, that they're not working out in L.A., and um, you know, which is interesting. I, I, I think it would work, but I don't think if Spanos came and was the owner in St. Louis of a football team, I don't think it would work. I think you got to yeah. have a, a team with local ownership. We haven't had that here with the NFL. We've had it with hockey, and, you know, they, they won the, the Blues won the Stanley Cup last year, but – um, before that, they hadn't won in 50 years, but they had local ownership, and they always made the big trades. They always appeared like they were trying to win a championship, you know, and the fans respect that, whether they knew what they were doing or not. You know, at least they tried. But, uh, you know, we had some issues with the, the football Cardinals the last couple of years they were here when they were trying to get a new taxpayer-funded stadium. You know, they went through a 2-17 and 17 stretch, and they had a drug problem on the team. They were a PR nightmare. You know, and I think a lot of the – fans and even the politicians were like, you know what, let's, we know the NFL is going to expand in a few years, let the Cardinals go. We'll get an expansion team of local owners and which almost happened, you know, and, and because of politics, it didn't, but then the Rams moved here and there was a lot of excitement. They sold out every game the first 10 years until they went through a stretch of, uh, I think they lost 65 games out of 80 over a five year period, 15 and 65. And, yeah. and Kroenke took over. It kind of just went downhill. He wasn't talking to the media. Uh, the writing was on the wall. They weren't marketing the team. And the attendance dropped to, you know, 30000 a game or whatever. I'm surprised they got that much. Uh, uh-huh. People dropped uh-huh. their season. So I, I think the NFL would work here. I think we're not Cleveland, you know. You're not going to win three games a year for 20 years and, and have sellouts. Uh, I don't think many cities are that way, but – I think it could work here under the right circumstances, but I'm not sure when that would happen or if it will happen. I don't know how Cleveland Yeah, I think it'll, it, be yeah. A, I, it'll be a tough sell if they ever, if they ever bring another team back there. I, can, I really can't see it, to be honest uh, yeah. with you. You know what? I think, you know, quick, I, I, we had the XFL come in here this past year, and, and they had the president of the XFL team. I mean, he did a masterful job marketing that team 
and they sold out the the first two home games. They had almost thirty thousand fans. They only sold the lower bowl yeah, tickets yeah. in the in the dome. And it was the way they put the Rams to shame how they marketed that XFL team, you know. So and they had it wasn't local ownership, but they made they made it feel that way, you know. It, it, and there was a lot of anti NFL, I'm sure. And I went to both games. It was a lot of fun. And they had a good team, you know. Now if they they were the New York team or someone that didn't have any wins or a bad quarterback, and they've been mm-hmm. a different story. But uh, but I agree. I mean, I, I, it's going to be tough to get another team. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. In, in my lifetime. Hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't really see it. I, I just, uh, I think the NFL, because of their uh, concerns about marketing and, you know, their profile and everything, I think it's it's literally next to impossible to to relocate a team where two teams have moved out of the, out of the area already. So that's yep. it. But I really can't see the Cardinals doing that well in Arizona. Um they're not, and you know that's the reality of the situation. You know, it's, it becomes a tax write-off for the owner, and and that's about it. So, uh, and as more ego-driven than anything else, so that, that's the uh, the bigger issue. Well, we're almost out of time, and I got uh, one more uh, question for you. Any wrap-up final thoughts about our talk tonight? Any any uh, any information, extra information you want to share? with our audience about either your Twitter account or the uh, website? Um, no, not really. I just, I, I think in closing, you know, I, I think, and I was probably guilty of this as well until I started researching the uh, 1960s Cardinals teams. You know, I think the Cardinals got a, a, a bum rap while they were here as being losers, you know, and those 60s teams, yep. they had two or three teams that were within a half a game of playing for the NFL championship. You know, the 64 team, they had beaten the Browns and they tied the Browns and they they, they ended up uh, tying a lowly Giants team and, and ended up uh, a half game out of first. They would have hosted the Colts in St. Louis for the 1964 championship if they had beaten the Giants that day uh, in St. Louis. So uh, they had some good teams in the 60s. Larry Wilson and Charlie Johnson was a quarterback. And I just, I think a lot of people have forgotten about them or, or they don't know about them. You know, I, I wasn't. I was born in 66, so, I, I, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about them until I started doing research. Yeah, I, I, you know, they, they were a good team during the 60s, but by far and wide, they were, they were right up there. They were competitive. They had, they had good players. Larry Wilson was, was such a class act as a, as a player. And uh, to yep. me, he's, he's very much underappreciated, in my opinion. Uh, he is. He was, you know, he was the, great. the anniversary is. The anniversary of his game against the Steelers is in a few days where he played with two broken hands and, and, uh, and yep. intercepted a pass. <laughs> so you'll see yep. that on the, yep. on the Twitter feed here in a couple of days. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And the one thing I got to say about, I say about the St. Louis Cardinals, when they had their white uniforms with the helmets, they, they just looked yeah. so sharp on the field. It was just so cool to watch. And it just, again, it brings back memories for me. Watching football in the 1960s, in uh, with a black and white screen, with my uh, whatever teams were playing, I would put the football cards that I had of those teams, one on each, on top of the TV set, and my father always <laughs> got a charge out of it because he would, we would look at the uniforms and say, "Wow, that's the color that they that they have on," and all you saw was the black and white one, so it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I always loved their uniforms. I always thought was, they were very cool. And uh, yeah, I, I love the old the, Bush the Stadium. They were, they were playing them. Yeah. It was great. 
Well, Bob, yeah. thank some you of the uh, some of the old players you. didn't care much for the for the old Bush Stadium because they can't walk anymore because of that astroturf. The funding for the games. <laughs> yeah, amazing. All right, Bob. Thanks for being on, Bob Underwood. Check out his Twitter account and the website uh, for all things St. Louis Cardinals. And I gotta say this: I do appreciate what you do for the hobby because you're keeping the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah franchise alive and uh hopefully you're getting some uh people interested in them to collect them read about them and uh study them and that's what it's all about so uh, you're doing Absolutely. a great job keep it up on it thanks i appreciate it guys. thanks for having me on yeah you're welcome thanks for being on all right joe we're down to a few minutes and i'm going to hand off to you we're going to go into our two-minute warning and wrap up off to you first. What a great guest. What'd you pick up on tonight's show? What a great guest. I, I, you, you, you touched on it there, Bob. Just somebody who uh, puts all that on their back and carries it. I mean, you know, you know, Bob's not getting paid for this. He's just, he's just a, a hobby aficionado who just appreciates his team, childhood memories, and just, and just, you know, is putting putting pen to paper, just memorializing that so that everybody else can, you know, can, uh, you know, can read about it as well. Tip my hat to him, man. I like it. And I always appreciate ex-Navy, uh, you know, and Bob's ex-Navy nuke. So uh, mm-hmm. served his country in the Gulf War. Good man. So great guest. And I got to, you know, I got to say this. When I was prepping for the show uh, tonight, people always think I'm nuts, but one one great way I try to relax is at night is reading. And I pull out one of my old media guides of whatever team it may be. And I, I probably got a couple hundred media guides in my collection. If by no means is it complete. And honestly, I love the media guides basically from the eighties back. I'm not big on the newer media guides because they're too corporate looking, but I'm going through right now, the 79 media guide. I read, I read parts of it all week. And uh, it, it's just so cool to see the pictures, to see the write-ups, and see, read the statistics yeah. about the team. I mean, it's just, it's just so it's just fascinating to me that you're reading the history of the game. And I always, and then I, I just say to myself, I just don't understand why media guides are not more popular in the hobby yeah. because they, they, they just offer so much information for a collector. They're not overly expensive. And again, you don't need to, you know, collect every one of them but you know to have a couple from each decade i think it's, it's just so cool you know what i mean and i you know in your case yeah. the seahawks were 1976 so you know realistically probably <laughs> no seriously real cheap and you know you get the whole history of the team there it's pretty cool pretty cool but um yeah. i did enjoy reading and i did enjoy talking about it and uh like i I do enjoy his Twitter feed. I do I do check and see what he's got on every day, and uh, yeah, I try to share it and uh, and and uh, watch the uh, little videos he has there. All right, we're almost down to uh, a minute. Again, if you don't subscribe to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? Check out our website for all subscription information on gridirongreatsmagazine.com and also on back yep. ordering information at the same time. Joe, final thought. Yep. Forty-five seconds. Ah, thanks for the introduction to somebody. I, I like I said, I've been uh, perusing his Twitter and his uh, website for the last uh, you know couple of days, just checking it out. So another great guest. Thanks, Bob.
It's, it was it was uh, very interesting, and and I and like I said to myself, I just think it's so cool. He's got a team that basically was in existence 1960 to 87, and yeah. you know you could collect have like a complete collection from that. I always thought that was that was cool. All right, down to ten seconds. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back hopefully over the next couple of weeks with a, a new show. And until then, thanks for listening. Again, check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.